What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. So today we wrap up our series on the grace of Les Miserables. We've been exploring topics like grace and justice, poverty and revolution, all through the lens of the book and musical Les Mis. This is our last stop on the journey. And instead of a more classic Palm Sunday with waving palms to start with and the sadness of Jesus's crucifixion to end, we're going to look at a small story often ignored. It is the burial of Jesus in a garden. Gardens play an important role in the story of Les Mis as well. They are the backdrop for many of the most important events in the story. So to give us a small taste of what is uh, what this important setting is like, we are going to hear one of the songs from the musical. This starts as a beautiful, sweet song from Little Cassette. She is a poor little girl whose mother has died. She is essentially in foster care and dreams of a better world. This is a clip from the People of Grace UMC singing, There is a Castle on a Cloud. Let's give a listen. delightful song. It just transports you to another place, doesn't it? And that's what we'll be talking about today, these moments that transport you, that take you into the presence of God. In our scripture reading for today, we are going to hear about the burial of Jesus. This is after his betrayal by Judas Iscariot. It's after he is illegally put on trial by the religious leaders and by Pontius Pilate. Then he is beaten and crucified that's where we come to this little bit of scripture only found in the Gospel of John. We're going to hear from Carol today as she shares with us today's scripture reading. This is John chapter 19, verses 38 through 42. Hear now the word of the Lord. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about a 100 pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices in linen cloth, according to the burial customs of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had been laid. And also, because it was the Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. And from Genesis 2, 7 and 8, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. 
the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, may we be a faith community passionately following Jesus Christ. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the body of Christ laid to rest means for us. Open us to your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have you ever run a a marathon before? 26 miles sounds impossibly far to me, but there are plenty of people who pluck up the courage to train and do what it takes to meet that goal, to run the entire distance of a marathon for nothing other than the joy of having done it. Some of my wife Emily's family decided to do that recently. They trained and pushed themselves just so they could say that they did it. For me, I am not driven by a sense of accomplishment. I like a competition. But there is no way I am ever going to take first place in a marathon, so I'd rather just sit the whole thing out. Others, though, just love to run, and the farther, the better. There are some folks called ultra runners who do marathons that are even longer, 50, 100, even races that last up to six days and cover 500 miles. I don't even understand how they could do this without literally killing themselves. But some of the best ultra runners in the world say they train by simulating the course. They build uh, up piece by piece the very terrain that they'll have to encounter. But that's not all. Perhaps the most challenging piece is not the physical toll, but the mental one. How do you keep yourself going? They'll use any mental trick they can to keep themselves on track, breaking the race up into pieces, rehashing old memories, relishing the silence, even thinking about the food they'll eat after they finish the race. Uh, Whatever works, right? One runner describes how in multi-day races, you can become sleep-deprived. She started hallucinating, but there is a, a way to recover even while racing, and that's nutrition and napping. Yes, they sleep in the middle of the race. Uh, We know this for ourselves. Our bodies recover from exhaustion with food and sleep. Those are the key ingredients for our physical bodies to recover. But what do we do if our spirits need to recover? I would guess many of you have been connected to this church for a long time. Maybe you've served in lots of different ways, and a rest sounds good right about now. Or some of you may have just joined our church after being burned out in another place. With the pandemic, I know people are getting physically, mentally, and spiritually exhausted. The monotony and loss of freedom are so draining. You can't do the things that fill you up and feed your soul. How do you find rest when the world is in lockdown and also in utter chaos? Well, I wonder if going back to the origins of our faith might help us today. We know in the book of Genesis, God creates the world in six days, and on the seventh, he rests. We read today that God created humans and then placed them in the Garden of Eden. If you had to ask people to name a garden in the Bible, this is probably the one that they would say. It's beautiful, idyllic, and probably what many of us think of as heaven on earth. But interestingly, the Garden of Eden is a place of both work and rest. It's not like there was nothing to do. Work needed to be done, even there in the Garden of Eden. Then on the seventh day, they would rest on the Sabbath. 
We probably think of having at least a day or two off on the weekend as pretty typical. Well, that wasn't always the case. Ancient people used to work every day without fail. But in Judaism, because of this Sabbath day where even God rested, a six-day work week was standard for them. Nations around the world followed suit, and today just about every country in the world gives employees at least one day off of work each week. This is the rhythm established by God. But that's not all the scriptures have to say about rest. It's not just rest in whatever way you see fit. The book of Leviticus tells us the rules. No shopping, no cleaning, no cooking. We know it's a a time for family to be together and to drink wine together. We usually think of the point of it as a time to recover from a weary week of laboring. But that doesn't actually quite make sense. God rested in Genesis chapter 2, but why would God rest? Did God suddenly get tired from all the work he did? I mean, it's a big job creating the universe, sure, but this is God we're talking about. He could do anything, right? It's not like his stamina wheel was low. So what does this mean then? Why does God rest? Well, one thought out there is that the Hebrew word for rest, menuha, might be better translated joyous repose or tranquility or delight. God wasn't napping or trying to recuperate. God was celebrating and delighting in the creation. Some really brilliant people believe that the whole point and purpose of Sabbath is not so much in the rules, the family time, or in resting, but is actually about this delighting in creation. In simpler terms, we would call this playing. And when we take the time to play, the world can suddenly look so different. My wife knows that Holy Week for a pastor can be a pretty grueling season. So she said this week, Brian, you need to relax. So we're going to eat some ice cream and watch a comedy special. And that's what we did. I laughed for the first time in too long and the world was a better place. There's another story of a woman I know who used to do youth ministry around the same years that I did, and she was going through a pretty tough stage in life a few years ago. She was doing spiritual direction with another person who invited her to spend some time in silence reflecting on the challenges she faced and to picture what it would be like for God to be present in the midst of them. She imagined a long mountainous path with lots of heavy boulders along the way. It looked so hazardous, she couldn't even imagine moving forward in this situation. So then she invites God to be present, and she has this clear sense of Jesus running lightly over the tops of the boulders. Then Jesus invites her to join him, and she doesn't want to because she's scared of heights and has poor balance. And then he says, what would you like to do? Shall we dance across? Should I carry you over? Or, and then with total glee, he says, shall we heave them all out of the way like this? And Jesus starts tossing the boulders that troubled her so much. He just flings them down like frisbees. When we invite Jesus to be a part of our world, to delight 
in all that is around us, the atmosphere is going to change. We are going to change. That's what play does. It opens up new realities that weren't even possible before. And God invites us to engage the world around us in this way. In today's passage, the disciple John describes two men who come to take the crucified body of Jesus and bury it. In Judaism, it was especially important for the body to be buried. So this rich man, Joseph, makes a request of Pilate, and it's granted. Nicodemus has myrrh for embalming and aloe for perfume, and it is a truly extravagant amount. Jesus, wrapped in white linens and in a tomb never used before, are also special honors highlighting just how important and revered he was. After this, it is nearly the beginning of the Passover Sabbath, so they finish up and lay Jesus in a brand new tomb surrounded by a garden. This was, I imagine, an idyllic spot, quiet and beautiful for meditation. When it comes to the death of Jesus, but I wonder if his burial becomes a time for the God of the universe to be at play. Did God delight in his creation once again as the world is fundamentally reordered? Was this a Sabbath of rest or a Sabbath of joyous repose, tranquility, and delight? When Jesus died, we know that we were forgiven and given a chance to be connected with God. After Easter, we'll dive into a series on atonement and look at this idea more. But think about that garden as the creator remakes the world. So we have the Garden of Eden and we have the garden tomb where Jesus is laid to rest for Sabbath. You may be wondering at this point what any of this has to do with our stories uh, on Les Mis, the series we're doing. But in Les Mis, there are several gardens that are the backdrop for significant events of transformation. You may recall perhaps the most pivotal act of grace in the story is that of the priest who protects Valjean. After Valjean leaves 19 years of imprisonment for stealing a loaf of bread, he goes from town to town until the priest takes him in. Valjean steals the silver from the priest at night, and when he is caught by the police, the priest doesn't turn him in. He gives him even more silver and says only that he must turn his life around and live for God. We followed Valjean's storyline last time, but what about the priest? Many of us aspire to be like that priest, to be a blessing like that to others. How does the priest get to be like that? How is he full of love and ready to give rather than hold on to these material possessions? Well, the priest has a garden. In the book, he says he requires two things, a little garden to walk in and immensity to reflect on. He needs this garden space to reflect on nature and the stars above. Every day he would spend time in the evening after dinner doing exactly that. Years of this ritual has led him 
to a conclusion that in the same way that a garden can be tended and worked, so can people. Just as you can shape nature to be this beautiful space, so can people be nurtured and taught to grow toward the light of God. What they need is an opportunity to do so and the circumstances to let them flourish. Because of this belief, he is able to give Valjean so much so that he has that opportunity to do so. Oh, there's another garden in Les Mis, the Gardens of Luxembourg. This is where Marius and Cassette fall in love. These gardens are called the most centric, popular, and beautiful park in Paris. Henry Miller once said, When spring comes to Paris, the humblest mortal alive must feel that he dwells in paradise. And it is in this paradise that two young people with a glance begin their lives together. So we are reminded again that in a garden can spring this powerful force that can transform our lives. Love between two people is another kind of play, another opportunity for people to delight in God's creation. I remember once my wife and I, we were living in Philadelphia and we visited the Morris Arboretum, a tree garden in northwest Philly, It was such a beautiful space on a beautiful spring morning. We walked the grounds and I was so inspired. I started making mental notes of the designs and features. I wanted to incorporate what was so beautiful there into a future home, things I probably couldn't do until retirement. But that dream is still with me. I still think about how life-giving it was to be there and how I fell more in love with Emily as I dreamed about our future together. Emily thought I was utterly ridiculous, and probably rightfully so, but beauty and love can transform the way we see the world. And when God enters the picture, there is suddenly the possibility of these transformations taking on eternal value and meaning, changing the course of our lives forever. One last garden as we close. In the book of Revelation, at the end of the story of the Bible, we are told about a new heaven and a new earth. At the very end of it all, there is no sun or moon anymore because God's glory shines to give it light. And through the very middle of the city flows a river of life. It flows from the throne of God and goes to the tree of life, the same one from the Garden of Eden. But in this new garden, there is no curse, and the servants of God worship God alone. The world has transformed from a garden to the city of God and a garden within it. I think as we take our Sabbath on this Palm Sunday and in days ahead, we open our lives to God's transformation. It's like God taking a paintbrush to the canvas of our lives so it can be remade and fashioned into something truly beautiful. If we take time to delight in the world, we can fling the boulders in our lives like frisbees. He can bring love into our world and 
even reconnect us with the one who loves us more than we could ever know. He would love us and journey with us from garden to garden, discovering God's love and its fullness in a garden with a tomb where Jesus was laid down, not as an end, but as a beginning to a brand new world for all of us. Amen. Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.